0: I'm Carrie Benedette and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalize you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specializing in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Welcome to Thriving Matters studio this afternoon. And we're a little bit early. So, you know, we've got these daylight saving uh, issues around the country. Don't worry about that because you are in the best company this afternoon. My panel guests are none other than Dr. Rosina McAlpine and one guest where Rosina is on the screen. Hi, Rosina, how are you this afternoon? <laughs> and the esteemed Tony Ryan. And uh, oh my gosh, being in the same room as you two is a privilege and um, I am totally honoured. So, thank you very much for joining. The conversation today and we're going to be talking about the future of what we're seeing at the moment happening in education with our families, with future employment, in times of great uncertainty and challenge. It's either exciting for some people or very stressful for others. So we're going to create some awareness this afternoon but firstly I'd like to introduce Rosina. Um, Rosina has an amazing um, experiential uh, business head. She's a researcher. She is totally passionate about families and wellbeing. And you will note that if you pop onto any URL, uh, Safari, whatever it is that you use, Chrome, and just type in Win, Win Parenting, you're going to see the fabulous Dr. Rosina McAlpine. <laughs> is that okay? <laughs> Thank you. And Tony, well, Tony, you have written, I think it's seven books. Is that right?
1: I'm losing count.
0: Okay, good. You are you are highly respected across um, global education, the same as Rosina. You have a, a presence here into looking at the future, and uh, your um, your your contribution to education and future thinking is is. Is highly uh, recommended and acknowledged throughout the the community. So it's such a great time to have you on, especially when Victoria has just come out of a second isolation for the coronavirus. Um, We in New South Wales and Queensland, slightly luckier for, for that. However, we have some fantastic observations, we have some amazing research that's coming out. Um, from our experience this year, and that's without further ado, I think that's where we should go. So, we'll, uh, we'll talk to each other as we do. Uh, Thriving Matter Studio came out of a need earlier this year uh, for us to talk about what's happening with an abrupt change to how we were um, educating our students from our kindergartens all the way through to year 12, also, our post. Uh, uh, schooling years, nearly everyone who is in the learning space has been affected. Um, our teachers, our families, our administrators, our decision makers, we're all in this together. So we've got a, a red-hot shot at uh, looking at the future and where we can go. So let's have a look at our first question and um, Rosina will share some research with us as we go through. So uh, that look forward to that listeners. So we're looking at capabilities that, that children really will need over the next decade. And we can start with our, our kindies, and I believe they're called alphas. Is that right? The alpha the alpha generation, our current kindergarten um, cohorts. But what are the capabilities that our children might really need over the next decade? So I'm going to leave it over to you two to, uh, to share your wisdom with us. Uh,
1: Rosina, I'll leave it with you
0: to start with me? Great. So basically, one of the things that we
2: really need to look at is that we oftentimes focus very much on academic skills. And even in preschools, we talk about the fact that we do preparation for big school, right? School readiness. But really what we need to be focusing on now is that it's not just that academics, those numbers, but we really need to be helping our children understand how to navigate the world in a successful way. So, capabilities like emotional regulation, which we know is something that takes many, many years to learn, things like resilience with the setback, you know, you're at preschool and someone takes that toy out of your hand, what happens next, you know? Um, So, really, we, we need to focus right alongside those academic skills, using everyday opportunities to help our children with Things like emotional regulation, resilience, um, being able to collaborate and cooperate. That's a little start. I'd love to pass it over to you now, Tony, mm. if you'd like to add to that, to that list, a little list that we've got so far.
1: Well, look, can I start by saying I'm just honoured to be with both of you. So thank you for <laughs> the you know, possibility of this experience. I'm just nodding my head as I'm listening to Rosina talking about those. I'm obsessed with capabilities because it means it makes you more capable for the future up ahead, no matter what actually happens. So the list you've given already is just wonderful. You know, I can probably add some to them and more, you know, anyone can. You know, I'm fascinated by things like adaptive agility. I know they're fancy words, but it basically means you can cope with almost anything that happens in your life. And you need resilience to do that. I mean, trance by thinking. I actually think thinking makes or breaks a child's life because whatever you're thinking about is who you are. So thinking is massive. And then there are subcategories to that, you know, like knowing how to curate information because most people are so overwhelmed with it all the time. Mm. For now, though, just one comment in terms of all these capabilities. I'm getting a bit bored with people who say they're secondary, but all the subject matter is primary. So they're Mm. saying something like, like mathematics is beautiful and wonderful and we need to focus on that first. Now, can I make the point it's not an either or? They're both amazing. Like all the subject areas are just mystical. I love them. I love rich content, great curriculum. At the same time, these capabilities are the core to how they actually learn that effectively. So when they have those capabilities, then they can learn the subjects anyway. So please don't get obsessed with either or thinking. We need to be into both and thinking so that they you know, both have you know, the, 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 the drive for making us uh, you know, better as we go along in society. So, Rosina, I I know you've got some great research there. You showed me a little bit yesterday. I'd love you to share that with everyone.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of research because uh, not only just the families that I work with, but also the studies that have been going on. And I'd love to share a little bit about the research that that I've been doing. So when the... uh, the pandemic first hit, obviously we were all put into self-isolation schooling as we knew it work as we knew it was no longer how it was. And, you know, my role is to work with parents to help them better navigate work and family. So I ran a study and I had about um, eight, over 800 families, well, individuals across 133 organizations. It's very lucky to get a great response rate. Mm-hmm. And what we really wanted was to look at, What are your biggest challenges because if we look at children holistically and we put children at the centre, we know that parents, teachers uh, are going to have a a big influence on those life skills and those academic skills. So I really wanted to know how parents were going at home with the homeschooling. And this is what it revealed, what the biggest challenges were. And the first one came out, obviously, as emotional regulation. When you're in an anxious situation, when your kids are stressed out, worried, when you're worried, um, there's nothing much going to be happening. So managing emotions, building resilience and self-esteem. Uh, parents realized when they had their kids 24-7 that positive approaches might be a bit helpful. <laughs> um, And again, I would say that this would be true also for teachers when they had this brand new space to work in. So all of a sudden they were going from face to face to virtual and I'd say that they were also looking for positive approaches to teaching in the virtual space. So I think we can mirror that in in that sense. Mm. Communication, uh, self-care was a huge one because everyone was so frantic. There was no time to look after ourselves. And again, same goes for teachers and for parents. Uh, Routines, all of a sudden, our lives were turned upside down, we had to find new routines. Um, Keeping kids busy, we pretty much knew that this whole change was very stressful for parents and kids, Uh, limiting stream time. um, And then finally, I think it became more and more the case to look at positivity. Um, and managing those fights when everybody's at home. So that was the research that I was that I was doing at the time.
0: Now that was in May, Rosina. So that's it was. early on with a with a really good response rate. So um, I think nearly anyone while I'm listening today is going to say will nod at nearly every one of those um, uh, responses that you got there. Um, and I've just noticed there—it's also not just the kids; it's also their partner. <laughs> that's that's been included. So it's our households. It's the reality of living. Yeah.
2: I ran it again in August, so more yep. recently, and those top ten things. Uh, the only thing that fell off was sibling rivalry, and what came on was homeschooling, and the. Um, self-care moved right up to the top as well because yeah. it became really clear that positivity and self-care as we went more and more into the pandemic those were the the mental health issues and the physical health issues started to
0: really come out of the box and i imagine if you run this again in another couple of months it could be that you're getting higher mental health issues for from prolonged um, stress as well because there's uh, still, there's a lot of employment opportunities happening at the moment, but there is still an, an awful lot of uncertainty still. And I, I agree with you, Tony. I um, I often, you, we often look at behaviour of students in school, right? We talk about what, what it is, that behavior, we talk about the learning design, whether it's engaging, if it suits the, the learning abilities and styles of the, of the, of the students. Um, so, it makes a whole lot of sense here that if you're, under stress, if you're having issues with with sleep access, um, feeling safe or unsafe in the circumstances, the last thing you're going to be doing is concentrating on on lessons or or the or the education. So we know what happens when we're teaching kids at school when there's major issues in the family. Yeah, how then it reflects on their learning. So it it makes sense that we get this right. Yeah.
1: Well, you know everything's meant to happen for a purpose as they say in the ancient wisdoms and so perhaps this is the kick in the butt that we all needed to remind us how to rebalance our lives Um, and i often say to teachers and parents you need to find a fable 50 50 balance with all of that because there are only ever two groups of people on the in the planet Uh, there's yourself and then there's everyone else and you need to find (laughs) the balance between them and a lot of people who are in caring professions and certainly parents often unbalance with that because it's only something like 20 80 Twenty percent themselves and eighty percent the others. The trouble is, you burn out eventually, and then you can't help them anyway. So you need to find that fable balance. Uh, So you know, given you know that research that Rosina has done, uh, I'm just nodding my head in you know agreement with it. I'm thinking of a whole lot of things. One is, for example, when she does that research in five years from now, what will we learn in hindsight from all of this? Mm -hmm. And I think one thing we're going to find eventually is that humanity is very courageous. And knows how to respond to circumstances and they've proved that all through human history mm. and often afterwards things don't seem quite as bad as they were at the time yeah. so we need to be careful that we don't have massive beat ups of things as well you know given that 0.04 percent of the world's population has died from this uh, mm. you know it's serious and every death is a tragedy the thing is we need to keep some sort of equilibrium with it all mm. Uh, mm. But a bit about keeping you know the balance with things you know like i'm really obsessed with teachers welfare and parents' welfare, because if they don't look after themselves, they can't best support yeah. the children. Uh, so it's massive that we actually give them equal help. Funnily enough, too often, I think we help the kids only and we don't actually think about the grown ups so who are giving them some, the support. We need to find a balance between that.
0: Well, it's, it goes back to the oxygen mask that we put on when we get on, strap ourselves into an airplane seat. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's the same sort of essence.
1: It's the, seat, uh, a little bit of goody.
0: Yeah, I know, Rosina. You've got um, some other research that you want to share with us. So I'm fascinated. So let's let's get it. This is current and uh, it's very useful. So would you like to do that with us again?
2: Be happy to. I'm just gonna get that up right now. So this is research that's been done in the UK, and then I'm going to talk quickly about some research that was done in Australia, much closer to home. But this is a really important research because it was a research centre that's set up and it's called COSPACE and it stands for COVID-19 Supporting Parents, Adolescents and Children in Epidemics. So that's their whole remit. That's what they look at. And over 10,000 parents have now completed the survey. Mm -hmm. And what are they finding? Parents and carers of primary and secondary school children have reported, and I'll bet if this was teachers, they would say, teachers, parents and carers, um, have reported increased restlessness, fidgeting, poor attention, poor concentration, temper tantrums, more argumentative and not being, you know, not doing what they've asked. And this is over and above the normal, what we expect with children um, because of the pandemic. And closer to home, We have some research that's been completed by the Black Dog Institute and the University of New South Wales. And their special look at the moment is on the mental health impact. Now, I think, Tony, you mentioned that, you know, thinking what's happening in our mind is going to, you know, like they say, if you think you can, you're right. If you think you can't, you're right. So, you know, that whole concept of, you know, really... Watching what our psychological well-being, what we're thinking. And what we're finding is, of course, that we looked at 700 adolescents, 12 to 18 years old. They are particular at risk because we know, as, as we all know, there are so many psychological, physiological changes, hormonal changes that are going through bodies at that stage. They're already uh, prone or subject to, you know, challenges of mental health, social health. But in addition to this stress, what we're finding is elevated uh, rates of psychological stress, negative impact on friendships, family relationships, learning, physical Hmm. health, and of course, worse for adolescents who have already had past situations of anxiety or depression, and importantly, what's one of the key factors is that these increased levels of stress on parents or caregivers is also having a negative impact on, on our, on our children. So that's, you know, interesting research that we really have to pay attention to. And so Tony, I think maybe if you want to talk a bit more to that point, that would be great. I'll stop sharing now that whole concept of the whole, the whole child and worrying about the the thinking, the being, you know, the psychological, the social, the physical well-being of a child. I mean, I know that's right up the areas that you work with.
1: Well, look, I've always been fascinated by the education profession anyway. And I think it's going to be the response to the sort of uh, data you're talking about there. Now, you know, what happens over the next five years is pretty complex on the planet. Here is one thing I think we need to do in terms of all of that, Uh, as well as giving each other unwavering support in every way whatsoever. We need to focus very strongly on the education profession because it actually is creating the future. Uh, The medical profession up until now in the last year has been necessary and just been amazing. I think the one that will matter the most up ahead, of course, is the education profession. And, uh, you know, how we do that? Well, you know, have you got, you know, a couple of years to talk about it. I think we (laughs) need to pretty well think about the future, the sort of future we really want. So that's the imagining stuff, you know, in five Mm. and maybe 30 years from now, we Mm. then back back to now and we steadily put it into place, you know, and how we'd actually do it. I mean, there are so many different ways of getting into that one. We call it SEL, social, emotional learning. Uh, I think we need to get over the notion that soft skills are like not as important as hard skills. And I, you know, indicated that one before, In fact, I think that the so-called soft skills are now becoming the hard skills, Mm -hmm. and the hard skills previously that we talked about, like coding and doing the subjects, are becoming the soft skills because they vary so much because of the technologies taking over from them, whereas the soft skills are the ones we need to develop as human beings, and therefore we need amazing teachers and parents to do that. You know, so I can give you like a few ideas in terms of how we build up on that. But one of the biggest ones is to make sure we have the most amazing human beings who are giving responsibility and helping children to grow up and develop. Because if those children are looking at grown-ups who are bored with life and aren't interested in what they're doing and they have like inadequate capabilities, these children are looking at them going, is that what it's like to be a grown-up? I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. So they need great modelling in terms of this. So, you know, that's the meta scene in terms of the education profession. And then you can get into all the details in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. developing what we call flipped classrooms and having a really good look at what we call a learning space.
2: Mm-hmm. Some
1: beautiful material coming through on that one. So, you know, I'll just wrap up on this point with this. There are generally three types of learning spaces these days. One is virtual where you take part in a computer-generated world with your avatar, and they've been around for quite a while. Pretty well started with Second Life decades ago. And then you have remote, so that's going on a lot now, especially in Melbourne and in other parts of the world where it's in real time, real people working with each other but just on the screen. And then we have social. So social is like the real-life situation where you're back in the classroom with each other, though often with benefits of technology. So that you've got those three, so we need to focus on them more and more. But the big one, I think, is like, you know, imagining that future. Taking Mm. into account, we are going to see some dramatic changes with that. We already are in America, where parents are forming pods, where, for example, they might have 10 families together and three teachers resign and actually work full time for them, giving them unwavering support in the delivery of that learning because the schools can't easily open up because of, you know, Uh, COVID-19. So you've seen a lot of different things like that starting to occur all over the world. It won't replace teaching as such and neither will robots replace teaching for a long time, if ever, though there are definitely different things occurring where we're finally going to tap into all the beautiful talent in the community. We call it cognitive surplus with all these amazing minds out there. We need to harness that and unleash it for kids everywhere.
0: Great. I love that cognitive surplus. Oh my gosh, it's far better than saying retired brain power, right?
1: <laughs> yep. A guy called Clay Shirky in America first proposed a concept. Have a look at him on TED and look at his okay. book. Interesting concept. And he reckons we only use up about 1% to 2% of our cognitive capacity on the planet.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, how he measures that is beyond me. So, I do agree with him in part that we are underutilizing it because when we finally release it, we are going to see the most astonishing global resurgence in terms of how we can live on this planet.
2: But I, I agree. agree. And I've been talking about intergenerational learning, that yes. whole concept of intergenerational learning that we have never tapped into. I mean we can see when there 's a small experiment you know when you put preschoolers with in an aged care facility, yeah. for example, like just a tiny example of that you know, uh, what happens? Magic happens, learning, connection, social, emotional development, and that 's just an experiment, if you know what I mean. like Imagine yeah. on a grander scale being able to use that intergenerational learning. In ways, as as I mean, I love the word education reimagined. I just love that term. You know, for me, that's exciting. Reimagining how we're going to, you know, support our youth, and that's not my term. It is someone else who uh, came up with that. That I can't remember his name right now, but. that wasn't my word, but I just loved that word, education reimagined, and that's really where we need to be in this space.
0: Well, in a way, it's for me, it's amplifying the, the gifts and talents and the curiosity for learning, and it, do, it doesn't mean that uh, it has to always be done in the one way. So that's what we're seeing. You know, Tony's great example of of the pods America, there is um, a recent paper that um, I came across, IDEO, um, and it's about reimagining education. And what they're doing is they're actually looking at scenarios: the what if this happens? Now, just say for for per chance that um, in Victoria um, they've had uh, two lockdowns now of education, so students haven't been to school for two significant periods. They haven't been on site, right, to a school. What if the parents said, "Look, we need uh, not to pay school fees." for those amounts of time because, yes, you have pay or we pay some of it, just say, um, we pay some of it but not the full amount because actually we've been helping with the, the learning at home. That's a possibility. Now, the IDEO paper actually suggests and tells us that already there are neighbourhoods where in the afternoon the kids do uh, learning by themselves in the morning and then they connect via uh, technology hubs into others who are experts in their field, whether it's art, music, science, mathematics, whatever it is, and they've got particular names. There's a whole range of examples already happening. You know, Bangladesh was able to get 90, something like 98% of their population online for education because they've they've got that facility in place, right? Here, we in Australia have not had the same extent of uh, the virus. As other other continents and other nations, uh, you know, as, as many of the European countries are now going into another another lockdown again, mm-hmm. um, America, the whole of the of the American um, is, uh, as you said, is, is really very very different to what they've, they've educated um, previously. So it's possible that here we may have some pockets. We already have people who homeschool. We have that sort of arrangement. But here, I think it's a slightly different situation because of how the virus or the um, pandemic has affected us. Um,
1: Oh, Carrie, there's a lot that we can go into with that one. I think we're still going to have great teachers around for quite a while because of their expertise, just like we do other professions. Mm -hmm. Though their role could change quite a bit given circumstances in community. So that's most definitely going to start happening. It already is. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind also that, Not all, but most schools offered some pretty reasonable support in times of lockdown. I'm still to find a teacher who got all their holidays through this year, especially at Easter time, because they were working so hard to try and get things ready for the kids who they really care about. You know, so they're definitely there, though. Oh, look, a lot of amazing things are going to start happening because the biggest concept on the planet in the next 30 years, I believe, is going to be learning for learning for all ages, inter- intergenerational, as Rosina's talking about, it's learning and it's equitable. Well, hopefully it will be more equi- equitable than it used to be because these days, a Bedouin tribesman in you know, somewhere in, in Africa or the Middle East can actually get onto a mobile phone and do a master's degree through Harvard Uni, yeah. not getting the accreditation, but being able to do all of the study. So we're allowing for an equity issue here and supporting it because soon we're gonna have massive balloons and satellites whether we're into that or not, who are going, going to like distribute the internet down to any part of the planet? So it's just going to be the most astonishing change in human history.
2: Yeah, I agree. We- and one of the things that I think is really important at the moment is, and you touched on that, Tony, and that is the welfare of teachers and parents. and if you don 't have the skills for social emotional intelligence, if you don 't have the psychological the skills to support psychological well being, then you can 't teach it and I think our education system for far too long I mean I was an educator at the university, in university for over thirty years. The only thing that was of interest to anybody um, in terms of myself was my academic qualifications not my teaching qualifications. I went off and did a master's and a a PhD in education because I felt that actually that's what I needed. The knowledge I could get anytime, you know, anyone can read a book and learn. But what I didn't have is how do I engage my students? How do I actually create a learning space? How do I identify the students who are at risk and get them in and help them? And it was through those mechanisms, doing those, really focusing on what does education mean, Uh, looking at the whole child, not the academic child, you know, the the whole person. Um, But I actually was just doing that self, if you know what I mean, that was myself pushing myself, because I wanted to be a better teacher. And I think that we need to help our teachers, we need to help our parents, which is why our programs, like the Win-Win programs, what that's all about is yep. empowering parents to empower their children. It's, it's that simple. Practical skills to support all of those skills that are gonna give their children the platform, because that's what it is. It's just a platform for life success.
1: That's right. You know, Rosina, I love your work. I think it's just fantastic. I wish there were so many more doing that actively. You know, I'm thinking you would be just great with like coaching up teachers and supporting them to go out into communities more, because too often I think we try and resolve issues with children within the school, and then the parents try and resolve it solely at home, and yet never the twain shall meet. So we need to maybe have more active teachers out there who are probably going to blow a fuse at the thought of having to do more work, though I think we have to adjust it and change it so that they help perhaps 10 families very consistently. And helping them with lots of different things, you know, in terms of physical wellness and well-being, psychological well-being, uh, and then then the children are more likely to learn more effectively. Big changes coming with it all.
0: And well, that, I think so too. Model, well, that model, um, you know, if you've got an individual student with high needs, that model is usually in, uh, engages um, at at local school level. It's when we amplify that and include it into being a bigger community that I think the gold happens, where you've got some support. So. Uh, watch this space. Tony, I like the notion of um, essential skills. Essential skills, not soft skills anymore, they are essential. So that, that could work as well. So yeah, how- I call them key life skills. They're just life skills. You want to go through life successfully? Mm-hmm. You need these
2: skills, attitudes, character, you know, yeah. all those things. And I think, you know, the more, uh, that's why I say to parents, if you, if you help your child become empathic, a good communicator, a social citizen, someone that looks around them and says, what can I give to this world? What can I do to make a difference? We change the planet in one generation. That's it. One generation.
0: So,
2: yeah. I know. So sorry, I, I'm the eternal optimist. But, you know, it's through that, through that empathy, teaching, empathy, care, love, giving. Yeah. Those, for me,
1: are key life skills. Uh, <laughs> look, you know, I'm smiling and nodding as you talk about it. Keep in mind that, like, most educators are totally into this. Because when I work in schools and I say to them, what's the one thing you'd most love to work on? It will be something like emotional resilience, emotional intelligence. That's what they want most. And too often then people denigrate that saying, oh, but you're supposed to do the hard stuff. Uh, on the contrary, you'll do the hard stuff more effectively when you've got all of that, you know, sorted as well. Oh, so, you know, that's, that's massive. It's just that important. The, the
0: relationship Critical, aren't they that you can't get we, our schools our, our education is full of people at the moment so that's unless we, we're going to bring in robots but they're, they're people and we're relational so look we're looking to um, reimagine the future I mean is there anything you'd like we've been talking around this this afternoon but is there anything else you'd like to add if you know I gave you the crystal ball and we, it was already here. You know, the dream was already here, coming to fruition. I wonder what the future of the education profession might look like.
1: Is that That's Rosina? That's a
2: hard word. What about you this time, Tony? You're always such a gentleman. I'll, I'll leave it to you first and I'll come in at the tail end.
1: <laughs> well, it's the whole dynamic of the, you know, the world being a dog and the education system being the tail, or is it the other way around? I'd like to think that education could lead us out into that new world. So that means educators need to seriously contend with, you know, the sort of world we need up ahead, taking into account political considerations and, you know, the, the masters who decree that certain things might happen. Uh, keep in mind that there is a lot of hidden curriculum in schools. If a teacher is serious about building up welfare in children, it will happen, believe me. So, you know, that happens in incidental ways as they're walking around at the lunchtime in the playground with children thousands of different things with that. So in terms of the future of education, it depends. Can I make a blunt point about this one, though? I'm quite concerned about people who ask about the future going, oh, it's all fearful and it's horrible and, you know, we've got no idea what's going to happen. That's one perspective. Here's another one. The future is predominantly, uh, you know, the consequence of the actions we take today. You know, we create that future. And I know it sounds a bit new age mumbo jumbo to some people, though they need to get over it and move on because we do essentially create our future. So we do it in our own lives. So, for example, if we want to get fit and healthy, we work on that every day. We exercise, we eat nutritious food. And over the period of time, we get fitter and healthier. So we know how to create our future. Financially, if you're that serious about saving money, you will do it. Okay, And it's the same for the planet. If every person woke up tomorrow morning and said, we will overcome anything and we will make it amazing, like Rosina said, within a generation, probably within a week, we would actually see the most remarkable transformation, which by, by the way, might start to happen depending on election results in the US. But that's another story.
0: <laughs> it is too. <laughs> that does yeah. a sideline. Uh, Rosina, I, I think Tony's got some some really good points here. And it's it's not um, that optimistic that it's undoable because it's actually, the reality is that we are powerful beyond our means. And I think when we put it into action, uh, we, we have a lot to say. And I think we, we need to be part of the conversation about where, where we're going. I absolutely agree. I
2: could, you know, I could not agree more with what Tony said. Fact of the matter is if we take the bull by the horns, if we take responsibility for our lives, you know, look at us three sitting here right now saying, okay, what could we do? What do we do? What are we doing? We're actually making that positive difference. And all those parents, every single one who tunes into every one of my webinars is doing exactly the same thing. They are saying through learning, through experience, through knowledge, through uh, trial and error, through vision, vision. Um, dreams <laughs> that we can work towards, we are going to change the world. And I, and I firmly believe that. And I think the thing that's really beautiful about this is that in our heart of hearts, we have, if we look at history, overcome many, many challenges. This is just one more of those challenges. And out of this, my grandmother used to always say, and it's been something that I've kept in my heart, out of manure grows a rose, and that's what we need to do. Whenever life gives you a bit of manure, plant something and grow a rose. So um, so I I leave you with that.
1: (laughs) While I mull over that one, uh, no, I keep thinking of like the the practicals on how we can do this sort of thing. So if we're talking like the future of education and the, the benefit to parents and children everywhere, We need to focus probably on what we call the Sustainable Development Goals or the Global Goals. So if anyone listening to this has not heard of these before, please look them up. In 2015, 192 signatory countries agreed on 17 different goals to be developed over the next 15 years by the year 2030. And we'll make it happen because we previously had Millennium Goals. Now, if I had my way, I would set those 17 goals as the core to most curriculum around the world. Not yeah. only that, you would have children engaging in projects on that, in terms of each of the 17 goals, maybe different ones that suit them, and you can align curriculum with this quite well. Yes, you can. Okay. And then you'd actually build an inquiry with that as well. Now, there's a beautiful word for you, mm. you know, inquiry-based learning, aligned with the project development, and then building it in with the sustainable development goals, and we're onto something really special. And this isn't just like Pollyanna again, just going, oh, let's be all fancy. No. And then I've got to contend with politicians who go, oh, but what about the old three Rs? And I go, we're still focusing on the three Rs. We still focus on the core stuff. It's just that we're using it in context so that we learn it more effectively. Yeah. Yeah. We can't sit isolated in a classroom and just have stuff drilled into us anymore. Kids won't take it. So it needs to be built into context and there'll be more effective readers And they'll be more effective at mathematics when they build it into something that's real. So, there's some thoughts in terms of the future of education.
2: I 100% agree. And, you know, for example, my son wants to be a marine biologist, and at the school that he's at at the moment, you know, they allow the mathematics to be looking up statistics on that. The, you know, it's always around something that they're so passionate about, writing about it, researching it, because obviously they're going to do better. And, and I absolutely agree with you. And one of the things that I think is really important here is, you know, I, I did integration and differentiation and Pythagoras and all sorts of things when I was at school. I can tell you now in my 56 years on this planet I've never used them I did do them I learned them. <laughs> but what did I use manage my emotions stand up for myself
1: <laughs> the things. Uh, so, look, yeah we all know when we, we can can
2: pair things. we can pair away some of that you know core material making it as you said project-based and if you're going to become an engineer, then integration, differentiation, and Pythagoras are really important. So let's yep. learn them. But if you're not, let's not.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, those sort of dialogues occur incessantly in terms of education, you know, trying to justify certain things. And believe me, with younger people, they can because it's worth you know, doing a broad brush approach So definitely, Rosina, you're talking, you know, how it really needs to be. You see, it's context, especially with teenagers. All learning needs to be context. That's why I love the concept of passion projects. And I really laugh when people go, oh, no, we haven't got time for that fancy stuff. What's wrong with being passionate about something and absolutely loving it? That's the the core of, you know, what you're meant to be doing as an educator. And that means parents as well. It's bringing out that purpose and passion in children.
0: So one of, the, one of the things that flows on from education is work. What do we do um, to maintain some, being able to maintain uh, some food on the table, to feed ourselves, to have some type of uh, quality of life and living? Um, so, And a lot of people would see that education's sole purpose is for the world of work not necessarily for the world of learning, but I want to challenge that because even in the work you do, you are, there is learning for, for the work, whatever it is. So I think we're also looking at now, you know, a lot of industries have, have had to change very quickly. Some have fallen away. Others have, are now starting to, to gain, um, some expediency, you know, get looking at how they've pivoted, how they've adapted, what else is coming through. So. I suppose some, some thoughts on the world of work and how that fits with education. I, I think it's one of those crystal balls again, but we do know that we've, we've had the use of technology and AI to help us through a pandemic, not to cause major problems, but to actually assist us. So that's one way, that's one view, one thought.
1: Um, what have you got, Rosina?
0: Oh no,
2: I thought I'd leave that one to you. This is your area of expertise. I'll, I'll add after you if you don't mind.
1: All right, <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, I could uh, you know, disrupt the tea leaves a little bit here. I wish I had some beautiful, wonderful advice for parents who might be listening to this. I don't. We are seeing one of the greatest disruptions to employment in the last hundred years on this planet. Yeah. So definitely you still like support children as they do study and they do as well in school as possible and perhaps go on and do get further accreditation. The thing is though, I'm getting the feeling that we are in a giant warehouse and we're climbing this huge ladder in terms of our understanding of what work means, but we're nearly at the top, we're exhausted and we look across the warehouse and we can see another ladder we need to be on. And I think it's Mm. one that looks at work a different way so it becomes balanced with life so education yes is meant to support children to get into work it's also meant to support them living a more you know meaningful life now when it comes to work we may need to rethink what it really means so for example you know, the whole one job for life thing is a bit of an antiquated notion. And I'd be surprised if it continues past 2025 20, or 2030. I think mm-hmm. people might stay, say, in medicine, but they'll go into different specializations through life. Uh, anyone who's 20 years old these days doesn't want to know about it. And here's why they're seeing their parents and grandparents yep. who are in their 50s and 60s, and they're bored beyond belief. They hate their work. They're just exhausted by doing the same thing for 40 years. They don't have enough superannuation. They hate the boss. And so this 20-year-old is looking at that uh, you know older person thinking, do I want to be like that when I'm that age? There is no chance. Yeah. So they're now living what some people call a seven-year cycle. Uh, so they're seeing the world of work differently. So they might leave school. They do some study. Then they go into their first seven-year cycle with uh, horticulture or something. And so for six years and nine months, they work and earn. And then for three months, they retire, like at the age of 28, and they go off and they learn the tango in Argentina, if they can do yeah, it there. Then they come back at the age of 29, and they do another seven-year cycle where they go into some variation on horticulture, or maybe start to explore law, and they do that for seven years, and then they go and retire again for a couple of months. And they mm-hmm. keep doing that until they're 94. So see, that's the flexibility that's starting to come in. And then the oldies, the chronologically gifteds, denigrate that saying, yes, but they won't stay in the same job and buy a house and you know, like go through That's all right. of that. Oh, fair enough too. Keeping in mind that you know, like in, in places like Sydney, you know, the, the balance, the imbalance between you know, the amount you make and the, the worth of houses has increased something like four times out of all proportion just in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. So it is more difficult for them to buy a house now anyway, especially if they're on a lower income with some profession. Uh, the thing is, they will still buy the houses, but maybe not as rapidly as people did in the past. And anyway, their parents are trying to buy three or four houses and build up huge separate annuation. Then they're going to die, and these kids are going to inherit it anyway. Are, so, right? you know, that's how kids in Sydney tell me they're going to get a house. They're just going to wait one of their or both their parents to die. Uh, only, there's a only lot of problem, problem.
0: Well, only problem at the moment is that the interest rates are so low that anyone who is retired is not getting any return on their investment. So (laughs) we're looking at different things.
1: Yeah, we are too. Look, just one more point in terms of work. It's this whole dynamic of making money. Keep in mind there are big disruptors coming up with that as well, and it's generally called additive printing, like 3 and 4D printing. And in the last Mm -hmm. five years, it has just accelerated. In another five, it's going to just go ballistic. And what's possible... Is that within 10 years the cost of many products will drop dramatically because they'll be so cheap to make, and that yeah. includes apartments and even full houses that can already be 3D printed by giant gantries. So if we don't don't need to make as much money, then we're going to have to rethink what it means to have work, and maybe we need to revisit the ancient Greeks who used to talk about eudaimonia, as in e-u-d-a-m-o-n-i-a. Now eudaimonia is the art of full living. And it means you play with your kids and enjoy and savor the time. And then you go and have a drink with some good friends and you talk about how good you used to be at different things. And then you go and do some contribution. See, that's what's going to happen with robotics. The robots are going to do the drudgery. Our kids up ahead won't need to do the drudgery unless they want to do it. They're going to be rescued from that. They're going to be looking for higher forms of pursuit in terms of living a full life. So you see, work is going to go through a revolution and it's not going to be comfortable because most of us don't like change in that sort of situation.
2: And, and just to build on that, 100% agree. This brings us right back to the very first conversation we had is that knowledge is not going to help you there, but skills are transferable skills. skills. So if you've developed a love of learning, just that, what stops you from going into that, into that, into that, whether it be for work, for pleasure, what, what, mm. nothing stops you from doing that. And I think, you know, for me, if I look at my own skills and I think I went to school, to university, what have I developed? A love of learning. Why could I change professions? Because of that. Sorry about my puppy in the me. background.
0: You know what, what? What you've both just done for me, um, and I think it was the ancient Greeks that, that uh, just tri- triggered this. I mean, the Japanese have the um, concept of igaki, and I've probably uh, pronounced it incorrectly, depending on um, how you do it. But when you look at that, it, it's about where's your perp- What the world needs now? Where can you make some money? What What is it that you value that you can contribute? Um, So it's looking holistically around that. And I keep coming back to what I've heard you all say, we're actually talking connections bigger than ourselves. We're actually talking about moving into uh, different ways of living um, and also how we are being respectful of each other and also respectful of the learning. So the learning actually becomes more important than the economic status.
1: Well, when I said back at the start that learning will be the most important profession on the planet, governments are working this out. And if they keep adult learning going, it actually costs them less money to keep society going. Because when people strong. are well-educated, they're healthier in most cases. They make better choices in terms of mental and physical health. Uh, they tend to commit less crime. The data is very strong on this. Oh. So even if people are being logical, sequential in politics, they know, going to save money by investing massively in the adult learning all through civilization
0: yeah um wow what a great conversation this afternoon so i'm going to say listeners if you would like to know more about tony's work or rosina's work i'm going to get them to give you their best contact details Um, i've got to say i've enjoyed the conversation we've we've been quite eclectic in the way that we've moved around we've got some great suggestions you've had some statistics some current research that's happening if we've provoked your thinking that's the that's the aim it's increasing our awareness of of what views out there um, are, are getting some currency because we all have an opinion on education because we all remember the best teacher the worst teacher the incident we we all remember Maybe we don't remember the learning, but we, we remember the community. We remember the experiences um, and all those different things. So I would like to ask Tony, what's your best contact details, Tony, if anyone's listening and like to get in contact with you?
1: Uh, probably at tonyryan.com.au or I'm in Twitter and a few other places at Aussie Tony. Okay,
0: great. tonyryan.com.au, beautiful. And Rosina?
2: Uh, either winwinparenting.com or drrosina.com. And I've got blogs and articles and all sorts of things on both websites that are free um, for parents to have a look at. Um, So, yeah,
0: I'd love to have you come. Ah, that's fantastic. If you'd like to know more about what I do, Carrie Benedict, you can pop on to my website, carriebenedette.com.au. I'm on all socials. And um, we are doing this sort of conversation because your thriving matters, our children's thriving matters, and my grandchildren's thriving matters. So the legacy that we leave, we may never see the results of, but it will be here for generations to come to continue the learning, which is what our life is all about. So thank you very much for your time, Tony. It's been an absolute honour to be part of the conversation with you this afternoon. Rosina, thank you for sharing your, your stats there, as well as your enthusiasm and passion for all things around parents and partnerships is what we're really talking about. We all need to work together. Our connections are critical. So thank you very much. Tune in next Tuesday. Let's um, let's continue the conversation. It's been a great ride so far. Your Thriving Matters, over to you. Thanks again. Bye for now. I'm Carrie benedett and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters.